Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 the u.s evacuates the sudanese embassy after fighting breaks out in the region it's really a, a dark moment when we have to pull our embassy personnel out the supreme court allows abortion pills to stay but just for now. I've seen many patients in the emergency room who have side effects from this drug. Hundreds come out to protest China buying farmland in Michigan. Those places don't want to see us exist anymore. The last thing we need to do is let them buy up farmland. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Monday, April 24th. I'm Mike Scott. On Saturday, the U.S. military evacuated the embassy and its staff and family from Sudan due to the escalating violence in that country. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says the operations at the U.S. embassy in the city of Khartoum would be paused and that U.S. personnel had been cleared from the area. Foreign governments evacuated diplomat staff and others from Sudan on Sunday as rival generals battled for a ninth day with no sign of a truce. Daring evacuation of the American embassy in Sudan. U.S. Special Operations Forces, including the Navy's elite SEAL Team 6, were involved in the planning and the execution of the operation. Roughly 100 American diplomats and their families rushed to safety, escaping the war-torn country. The military using three Chinook helicopters in the middle of the night. Those choppers only on the ground for about an hour during the evacuation. Diplomats had been sheltering in place at the embassy compound in the capital of Sudan. There is now no official American presence in the country. President Biden personally signed off on the mission on Friday and ordered it to be carried out as soon as it was safe and feasible. All of this is fighting rages on in Sudan, including attacks on more than a dozen health care facilities. According to reporting from the scene, over 420 people, including 264 civilians, have been killed and over 3,700 wounded in fighting between the Sudanese armed forces and the powerful paramilitary group known as Rapid Support Forces, or RSF. Joel Rubin, a former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, explains how the U.S. is trying to get remaining Americans out of Sudan. What happens right now is that there's a 24-7 operation uh, in the operation center of the State Department. That's the nerve center there. It's a, a, a a watch force that basically coordinates between the diplomatic assets that we have, the military assets, and uh, in particular uh, tracks uh, developments on the ground so that the question of these Americans, as Americans, as information comes out uh, from Sudan where people are reaching out to the website, reaching out through private networks and contacts, getting word to our consular officers that they are there, that information can be shared with them to try to help get them out. There are going to be a lot of third parties most likely as well that may want to very well get engaged and try to help uh, 
help these people leave as well. So a lot of coordination right now at the State Department at the highest levels. Rubin says that when the U.S. and other countries leave their embassies in a crisis like this, they leave behind a vacuum. It's really a, a dark moment when we have to pull our embassy personnel out. It basically means it's too dangerous for them to operate. And what do they do when they operate in these countries? They do diplomacy. They do engagement. They engage uh, the leaders of these two factions, for example, to try to prevent them from escalating further into a civil war. So uh, it, it, it sort of pulls a plug out of uh, uh, what has been kind of held together and is now clearly a, a deteriorating, deteriorating uh, situation and uh, is a sign uh, to other countries as well that they need to depart. And, and, and when the Americans leave, other countries tend to leave as well and really creates a, a, an international vacuum there on the ground in Sudan. The former assistant secretary of state says that the U.S. State Department has to walk a fine line between using diplomatic and military assets. We're basically going to have to walk in Shigam at the same time, as they say, and, and certainly brokering peace has to be paramount. Uh, this cannot spiral, as, as you and Evan have been reporting. Uh, it's the, a large country, third largest in Africa, 35 million people there. And so the, the peace uh, initiative and trying to get a ceasefire, crucial. But concurrent to that, yes, uh, getting these civilians out. And it's not going to be an overnight thing. We're not going to see uh, uh, large Chinooks again landing to uh, withdraw Amer- American civilians from, uh, from Sudan. It's going to take time. It's going to be over weeks, most likely. Uh, and uh, even as the reporting said, there are it's it's dangerous right now, so stay in place. But uh, some individuals may try to seek land routes and, and through neighboring countries as well. So it's going to be very piecemeal, and that's what's very frustrating. I have to say, it clearly is frustrating. It's not a great situation by any stretch. Rubin points out that Russia's Wagner Group is on the ground in Sudan, and they are trying to destabilize the region. There is a militia, the Wagner Group. The Wagner Group is working on behalf of Vladimir Putin in Ukraine. It has been traipsing around nearly 13 countries in Africa, seeking to destabilize countries in order to capture territory and gain uh, power, gain uh, minerals, materials, diamonds, you name it. And they are doing that now as well in Sudan. And that is a major problem, that destabilization. They're promoting the militia against the armed forces, and uh, not playing a a role of peacemaker instead of provocateur. U.N. agencies report that thousands of Sudanese have fled fighting in Khartoum and elsewhere. But millions are sheltering in their homes amid explosions, gunfire, and looting without adequate electricity, food, or water. The State Department did share on Friday that at least one American had been killed in Sudan since the fighting broke out. As the war rages on between Russia and Ukraine on the front lines, a new war of technology has been born, with both sides hoping for an advantage with drones and satellites. Daybreak Insider's Karen Chalmers has the very latest in the struggle above the ongoing war in Ukraine. While the two sides have kept pace with one another so far, Ukraine's Minister of Digital Transformation, Mikhail Fedorov, told the AP he was confident Ukraine could out-motivate Russia. 
Fedorov explains how crucial technology was for both sides in order to stay ahead in the war. Technologies allow traditional and modern artillery to be more accurate, and they help save the lives of our soldiers. He acknowledged that Russia was also aware of the importance of technology on the battlefield and was actively developing and improving its own. He said the Ukrainian government was planning investments in new technology projects to encourage further competition and innovation. I'm Karen Chamas. The U.S. Supreme Court granted a request from the Justice Department to leave in place the FDA's approval of a widely used abortion pill, Mifepristone, which will preserve access to the drug temporarily while legal proceedings continue. The Supreme Court has sided with the FDA in rejecting the Texas judge ruling blocking access to mifepristone, the abortion pill that's been used by more than 5 million women safely since the year 2000, since the FDA approved it. This was a huge ruling. It was an unsigned order. Uh, The vote was 7-2 to with Justices Thomas and Alito dissenting. Many political analysts believe that the 6-3 decision was the most significant case involving abortion since the rollback of Roe v. Wade a little less than one year ago. Our Daybreak Insider Evan Moon explains the details of the ruling. The decision blocked potential restrictions to access mifepristone, one of two drugs used in more than half of medical abortion procedures in the U.S., A lower court in Texas was looking to put a freeze on telemedicine prescriptions, mail deliveries, and pharmacy pickups of the drug, while a legal challenge to the Food and Drug Administration's approval plays out. Conservative groups in the Lone Star State claim the FDA approval for the drug needs to be revoked, citing safety concerns and claiming the lack of restrictions by the FDA has allegedly resulted in deaths. Moon lays out the next steps for the courts. This case now goes back to the Fifth Circuit Court, where both sides will present evidence of the safety or lack thereof that will be examined by a three-judge panel in Texas. All of this comes almost one year after the highest court overturned Roe v. Wade, which federally protected abortion up to about 24 weeks. Since the issue was sent back to the state legislatures, over a dozen have banned abortions or restricted access, and the fight continues in many states right now. The Reverend Patrick Mahoney with the Stanton Public Policy Center was protesting at the U.S. Supreme Court when the decision was handed down and says unequivocally abortion doesn't help women. I cannot overstate how critical this case is. In some ways, it's almost more critical than Dobbs because it will reveal what this court will think for future decisions that come before them. Republican Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas was an OBGYN before heading to Capitol Hill and weighs in with his expert opinion. My concern right now about the abortion pill is that they're giving it without doing exams on women before they give it without doing ultrasounds. I think that's below the standard of care. Um, I think that they'll be missing ectopic pregnancies. Um, I think that they'll be giving the, this abortion pill to a woman who thinks she's nine weeks and she's really 16 weeks along. I've seen many patients in the emergency room have, who have side effects from this drug. Medication abortions have become increasingly common and accounted for more than half of all abortions in the U.S. in 2020. That, according to the Centers for Disease Control. 
Mifepristone is taken in combination with a second medication to terminate a pregnancy through 10 weeks of gestation. A House committee and the New York DA reach a compromise. We get more on this developing story from our Daybreak insider Keith Peters. House Republicans and the Manhattan District Attorney's Office have reached an agreement to end a legal dispute over a House Judiciary Committee inquiry into former President Trump's indictment. Under the agreement, committee members will be able to question former prosecutor Mark Pomerantz under oath next month in Washington, resolving a lawsuit in which District Attorney Alvin Bragg had sought to block Pomerantz from testifying. Among the committee's concessions, Pomerantz will be accompanied by a lawyer from Bragg's office, which is not typically allowed in congressional depositions. Keith Peters reporting. Hundreds of people gathered to protest a new battery plant in Big Rapids, Michigan. The company building the plant, Goshen, is a Chinese manufacturer that has strong ties to the Chinese Communist Party. In the heartland, Americans protesting China buying up farmland in their backyard. The Michigan Senate approved nearly $200 million in state funds to move forward with a controversial project to build a Chinese-owned EV battery plant on farmland in the middle of that state. Last fall, Governor Gretchen Whitmer announced that the plant would build batteries for electric cars, saying that Goshen has promised to invest $2.3 billion and create over 2,000 jobs. Daybreak Insider reporter Emily Finn explains that many residents are concerned for U.S. national security. Planned site of a new Chinese-owned EV battery factory is Camp Grayling, where the Michigan National Guard is training the Taiwan military. Residents here now citing national security concerns in their fight against the plant. Organizing a rally at a Green Charter Township farm this weekend, protesting the Chinese-owned Goshen plant. Residents expressing growing concerns with recent efforts for alleged spying from the Chinese Communist Party. Finn points out that in the last five years, Chinese ownership of U.S. land has surged. There are 11 state legislatures throughout the U.S. that are looking to pass laws to limit countries like China's ability to buy up American farmland. And when we break it down by the numbers here, Natasha... There has been a 55% increase of Chinese ownership of American farms in the past five years. And according to the USDA, they now control 384,000 acres of agricultural land in total, with about three quarters of those farms in the south. So these EV battery plants here in Michigan are just shining a renewed light on this ongoing problem our lawmakers are trying to address. Democrat Senator John Tester of Montana has teamed up with Republican Senator Mike Rounds of South Dakota on a bipartisan bill that would ban China from buying up U.S. farmland. Those places don't want to see us exist anymore. The last thing we need to do is let them buy up farmland, which is critical to our food security and to our national security. This Michigan resident and protester says that China is actually America's biggest foe. China's our number one enemy. Number one, Chapman, you don't care, do you? This Michigan resident is upset that a Chinese communist-owned company is able to build anything in America. And they are getting off on the fact that you guys are okay with Communist Party coming to our backyard. 
Michigan isn't the only state seeing China buy farmland. It's happening all across the U.S. However, North Dakota residents were able to block one Chinese company from buying land in their community. And this resident offers advice for other Americans. And I tell you, even with the Facebook page that we have now, we've heard from people in Arizona and Florida and Texas, you know, how are you doing this? And my advice is saying you have to be a voice. You have to have the courage to step forward. You have to be a you have to form a grassroots group that is willing to fight. A top executive with Goshen North America recently put on a statement saying the company has no ties to the Chinese Communist Party and the company is not influenced by any political party. Despite that statement, community members still fear what would happen if the factory actually comes to central Michigan. Netflix began the year with another burst in subscriber growth that eclipsed analyst projections for the third consecutive year. Daybreak Insider's Jeremy House takes a look at the solid numbers. The results provide further evidence the video streaming service has regained its momentum after a jarring downturn and customers prompted a shakeup. The 1.75 million gain in Netflix subscribers reported for the January to March period was nearly 550,000 more than the average analyst estimate. Although the subscriber increase was smaller than Netflix has historically reported for the first quarter, it was a stark contrast to the loss of 200,000 subscribers that the company sustained at the same time last year. Jeremy House reporting. Ken Potts, one of the last two remaining survivors of the USS Arizona, which sank during attacks on Pearl Harbor in World War II, has died at the age of 102. Daybreak Insider's Julie Walker remembers for us a national hero. Potts died Friday at his Utah home that he shared with his wife of 66 years, according to family friend Randy Stratton, who says, and I quote, Potts had all his marbles but was having a hard time getting out of bed lately and was just happy to have made it to 102. Several dozen Arizona survivors have had their ashes interred on the sunken battleship so they could join their shipmates, but Potts didn't want that, according to Stratton. He said he got off once. He's not going back. The only remaining survivor from the Arizona is now Luke Hunter at 101, and Stratton worries once he's gone, who tells their stories? I'm Julie Walker. And finally... A Canadian woman awoke to find a large, furry thief in her driveway. Sharon Roselle says she was awakened at 3 a.m. to the sound of her dog barking at a bear breaking into her car and drinking dozens of cans of soda that she left there overnight. Hopefully you didn't wake up like this. One woman in Canada woke up in the middle of the night to find a bear breaking into her vehicle. In search for food, the bear found a sweet treat. In fact, it was the jackpot for him. There were six cases of soda inside, and he apparently helped himself to 60-something cans of pop. Roselle, who bought the cans for her food truck, says she had 72 cans of soda in total in the car. The bear drank 69. She recounts how she found the clawed kleptomaniac. 
the dog was sleeping on the bed with me. So once she went off, uh, I knew instantly it was a bear. She has a way of barking that lets me know that is a bear coming. So I got up and uh, she went to the front door. So I went around that way and turned on the light. And there he was in my car. The Canadian food truck owner explains the way she tried to distract the bear away from her car. Well, I I, I tried pleading uh, to no avail. He was not having any of it. Uh, I I had to stand there and watch him. I tried psychology. I told him I was hunting bear. That didn't do a thing. (laughs) Uh, My husband was in Vancouver at the time, so I called him, and he said, throw a bucket of cold water on top of it. Roselle jokes that if she had left her husband's whiskey in the car, she may have had to go outside and confront the brazen bear. He kept saying, don't go out there, don't go out there, because I've been known to go out in the past. But uh, I I was like, no, I, I get it. He's in a small space. I won't go out there. And jokingly, he said, well, if it was my beer in there, I think under our marriage contract, you would have been obligated to go fight to the death for it. (laughs) And when I I told people that, he goes, don't, you're making me look like a jerk. And I said, oh, everybody knows you're kidding. But hand to God, had that been his Crown Royal whiskey, I swear I would have had to go out there for it. After assessing the aftermath, Roselle says she was surprised by what she found. Apparently, diet pop, the only thing he left behind was three diet pop. And uh, that was the last pop he went for. And as he smashed my window, first of all, and the door was open. He could have gone in, but he didn't. He just smashed the window. And as I stood up above, I watched him drag to the front all these cans of, of pop. Because I own a food truck, so I was bringing them down in the morning. Oh, no. No idea. We have bears here all the time, and no idea that they could smell pop through a can until now, and no idea he would sit. took him over an hour to drink all those pop. According to the nonprofit Sunshine Coast Bear Alliance, bears are highly skilled at gaining entry to cars and can cause significant damage. The group says that bears can smell the smallest scent, like leftover chocolate on a candy wrapper. So best bet, if you're in bear country, keep your car clean. If you get caught with food in your car, keep the doors locked and the windows rolled up. Meanwhile, Roselle says she's hoping her insurance will cover at least some of the damage. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott.